Hey there. <laughs> that was bad. Hey. Hi. Um, no. Okay. <clears throat> Podcasting. Oh, gaming. Gaming. We're gamers. <laughs> Uh, hey everybody, I'm Steve Gaynor and you're listening to Tone Control, Conversations with Video Game Developers. And today I'm in LA talking to Leighton Gray, which I just did a lot of rhyming <laughs> all in a row. Yeah, that's, the rest of this is going to be like slam poetry. <laughs> so get ready for that, dear <laughs> listeners. Um, but yeah, Leighton uh, was one of the main creative forces behind Dream Daddy. Um, and uh, thank you for, for coming to spend some of your Indicate with me. Oh, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. It's nice to not be in that hot room packed with people. Yeah, a hot room filled with gamers. Uh, yeah. Someplace that you need a little break from every once in a while. Yeah, I've been pitching my game nonstop, and I think like by the end of the weekend, I'm going to have it down to like uh, you know in the commercials where they have to read off like the disclaimers <laughs> and the side effects. Like I'm going to have it down to that speed. <laughs> well, so um, Dream Daddy, for those who are listening and don't know, but that's what this question is going to be about. If you don't know, Dream Daddy was a very uh, well-received um, visual novel that, that came out um, and had, like, yeah, a huge following, kind of as, what, before it was released, as soon as it was released? But, so we're at IndieCade right now, which, you know, we're showing games and, and people are coming up and checking it out. Do you have a lot of people at IndieCade who are like, what's this daddy game? Um, actually, I am shocked that the people who are coming up like, what's this, is very small okay, um, good. compared to the number of people who come up and are like, it's Craig and Amanda! <laughs> for context, for people who aren't at Indicate right now, we have giant cardboard cutouts of Craig and Amanda standing behind our table. That's awesome. Um, and Craig is one of the sexy daddies, and Amanda is dad. your precious daughter. Yes, I've had a lot of people be like, is she a dad? <laughs> you know, not yet. Maybe someday. But sometimes a precious daughter can be a dad. Yeah, you know, a family can be just dads and dads. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that probably, um, well, I mean, basically, probably most people that know of you or know of your work, it's through Dream Daddy. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to, to just talk about, like, I guess I I certainly became a, aware of, like, you and your, your art and your involvement with the game through the game's success, but... Um, yeah, I think that uh, I'm interested in knowing, like, where did you come from? Where did you start from? How did you get into... Because this is kind of your first, like, big title that's been released. Yes. Your first ever game first, that's yeah. been released? First ever game, first thing I've written, first thing I've worked on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nice work. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> I worked very hard. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, I don't know, where did, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is a little beach town on the coast hmm. that uh, used to be a really big hub for film. They called it like the Hollywood of the South. Huh. Uh, and now, since they changed the uh, tax incentives, Georgia has stolen all of our film business. And yeah. it's kind of dead there now. So it's just kind of like a beach bum kind of town. Strip mall hell. <laughs> uh, UNCW is there. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. I, I, I grew up in similarly strip... Malls near beaches. This is familiar to me. I grew up yeah. in like suburban Florida, so <laughs> Oof, that's yeah. a fun one. Uh, hot, humid, 
Strip malls, billboards. Worst hurricanes. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, yeah. Um, I don't know. What was, it, what was it like growing up in Wilmington? Like, what were you into as a kid? Um, I, I feel like most of my childhood was defined by stuff that I was afraid of, uh, <laughs> but simultaneously interested in. So okay. I was terrified of dinosaurs, but I also loved dinosaurs. I wouldn't go to, like, I would go to museums and then get scared because I thought uh, a night at the museum situation was going to happen when the dinosaurs would come <laughs> and attack me. Uh, for a long time, I was really fascinated slash terrified of aliens. Um, definitely watched Signs too early. <laughs> but uh, along with that, um, I drew a lot. I read a lot of books. Um, I played a lot of video games. Yeah. And uh, I was a very, like, I was an only child. So, okay. you know, I was very quiet and antisocial and very uh, yeah. socially anxious. So I kind of just withdrew <laughs> into my own little world of stories, which I feel like is what everybody in game development right. did. No, this is all sounding very familiar. We got... Strip malls, beaches, only child. Yep. Uh, in Escapism. A lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, because um, because on on Dream Daddy you were the art director, um, and yes. like the the co writer and story lead or story, you know, you were half of the story team basically, right? You and yeah, Vernon Shaw. Shaw. Right? Um, so yeah, so you you come to game design very much from the visual and story side of it, right? Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the types of games I've always been interested in. You know, I didn't have many like older friends or a family that was into gaming, so yeah. I would just get whatever they'd go to the store and be like, this seems appropriate for a 10-year-old girl to play, and so it would always be like shitty movie tie-in games or any <laughs> right. like stuff like Cooking Mama and Animal Crossing that are pretty like casual, but that I love. Which at least those are like the good version of that. Yeah, Because there's exactly. also a lot of just like horse... Liking games. Oh, yeah, like oh, you know I played horse. those horse you, games. Yeah, you, you like were a horse wedding owner. planning games <laughs> where it's like, throw bouquets to the children, design a wedding dress, which is like, I, I will admit, fun as hell. Yeah, and um, which you also just said in, like, the, like, make that dad. <laughs> no, that dad. Oh, yeah, uh, we can get into this later, but yeah. so much of Dream Daddy was inspired just by the experiences of playing those, like, kind of casual games and yeah. also, like... Just playing a bunch of flash games and dress up games and just right. the experience of having like all these tiny games and you know wanting to play a game where you can date people and make yourself like very the kind of things I was interested in as a kid and uh, yeah but as I got older and kind of you know expanded my horizons with video games I like you know there are a lot of things that I like but there are a lot of things that I don't like and yeah. I think I necess I uh, more gravitate towards the indie scene and the weird stuff and the casual yeah. stuff yeah yeah. Well, what was some stuff that that you played? Well, I guess, like, I, it always seems to or not always, but, like, really, really commonly, there's some origin story version of, like, and here's why I was around games all the time growing up, or, like, you know, my parents did this, or whatever, so I kind of felt like I could do these sorts of things. Like, what was your, what, had, did you just get into games when you were a kid, and you were, like, that was cool, I want to play them, or did you have, like, friends that got you into stuff, or... Um, it was just sort of a thing, like, I, the thing that really started it off, or, when I was a kid, played a lot of computer games, frequently about dinosaurs, um, and... <laughs> Which, for, for, for people listening at home, you, you said that a little bit, like, like in a side, like, mostly about dinosaurs. <laughs> so, that'll be our little secret between us, yeah. just pretend you didn't Nobody else that. knows. Um... <laughs> 
But yeah, my parents are notorious for always getting my Christmas presents the night before at Walmart. <laughs> um, and I think they had seen me reading in like my National Geographic Kids magazine, like, here's an ad for a Nintendo DS. That looks interesting. And I didn't even like express like, I would like that. I just yeah. saw it and I think they were looking over my shoulder and they were like, she's seen that. She'll, she'll <laughs> respond positively. How do we choose gifts? <laughs> There's something she's seen. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't seen that at least once. There will be excitement. Um, so they got me that and like a handful of games. So it was like Animal Crossing, Nintendo Dogs. Uh, it was the original DS, not right. the DS Lite, which is not as. It doesn't feel as good. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was the, it's like, like the blobbier kind of like like the, the buttons uh, don't like feel iMac, as good. Like DS, the big clamshell DS. Yeah, yeah. and the hinges were bad. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I just ended up spending a lot of time carrying that around and playing it. And uh, as I got older, it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. Um, But I have such, like, fond memories of just sitting on, like, the neighborhood kids' trampoline and all of us, you know, in PictoChat, like, sending stuff back and forth (laughs) and, like, drawing boobs and immediately deleting it. Like, oh, no, someone's going to see it. That's awesome. Which has, of course, carried on to my artistic career. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anytime you draw boobs, just erase it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I've embraced it. Most of my artist boobs. Okay, fair enough. You you got over that particular hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess you've you've you similarly you were just kind of like always drawing when you were growing up. Yeah, uh, and it was something that like I never really thought that I would pursue. Like games, you know, it was something. Same when I was a little kid on the playground, I would be drawing, and my friends and I would you know fill up notebooks with plans for games that we would want to make even though we had no clue how to do that yeah um and all of them were about the people that we knew and like about our school and i I feel like everyone made plans for at least one game where it's like you're in a school and you're like throwing water balloons at people you hate right stuff like that (laughs) yeah i think my version of that was that um i would just take games that i liked like, I don't know, Contra or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> game or XYZ, and I would just, like, make up new stupid weapons and, like, backgrounds and enemies and stuff. <laughs> and I basically just draw my own, like, well, Jesus, I just made this connection. So, like, the first thing that I was a lead on was Minerva's Den for Bioshock 2, which was, like, a DLC. Before mm-hmm. that, I'd worked on an expansion pack. I just realized my entire childhood, I was just, like, drawing DLC for the games that I was playing. <laughs> like, here's ten extra weapons and two new enemies and five more stages. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think there's that, there's that whole level of kind of, like, projecting your own experience, i.e. the kids you know at school or whatever, into yeah. the kinds of things you're spending all of your time playing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was something that I never thought I would actually do. I mean, when I was a kid, I was a very high achiever, straight A's, very studious. I won a lot of, like, science awards. Mm. I wanted to be a neuroscientist for, like, a long time. That's cool. I I would have killed people. I, I couldn't <laughs> have done that. I oh, you want to be a neurosurgeon? I don't know. Okay. I feel like I probably would have figured out a way to damage someone <laughs> pretty badly if I had gone into science. Um, no matter what, people would have gotten hurt. Yeah, I don't have the brain for it, um, but yeah, I... I don't have any math or science. I can't do it. Like, I, I, I can't even calculate tips, um, and that's a problem that I should probably work on. But they're like, you're not going to have a calculator with you all the time when you're older, and it's like, well... I'm surprised they were still telling you that. That was what they said when I was a little kid, and like... Yeah. Like, cell phones didn't exist then. Yeah, I mean, I, let's see, I didn't have a smartphone until I was in high school, so... Yeah. Uh, Smartphones didn't exist until I was doing my first design job. Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> my, my age is showing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, I mean, and that's something that, that I want to talk about oh, as yeah. well. That, I mean, as we get more into Dream Daddy, it yeah. is like about, I don't know, it feels like a very of the current generation game in a lot of ways that, that I think are like very distinct, uh, which, is, which is interesting. Yeah. So talking to somebody who kind of found their way into games like a generation after me is kind of interesting to be like, oh, yeah. right, DS has existed when you were like sitting on yeah. trampolines with your friends and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird because like Let's Plays are kind of what got me into more serious gaming in high Oh, awesome. Yeah. So did you, yeah, did you spend a lot of time like, I don't know, yeah, playing games with other kids and doing stuff collaboratively, like, you know, making drawings or comics with other kids and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, for a while. Um, I was always just making stuff as a kid. There was a really long period where a friend who lived down the street, like, we would make shitty videos. Can I swear on this podcast? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, we would make <laughs> shitty videos um, that I'm so grateful that we did not have access to YouTube. Right. So they're not immortalized and they're yeah. lost to time. See, I keep um, just more overlaps. I made yeah terrible VHS movies yeah. with my like next door neighbor friend when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah and, uh, it's just it's just being a it's being a little kid who's introverted, has a lot of time by themselves, and just wants to make shit. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what do you have? You got a video camera. You have pencils and paper. You're like, uh, you're just trying to find some way to yeah, like, yeah, make stuff to... out of your head, right? Yes, and you are so appreciative of the things that kind of pull you out of your own shell that you want to do that for other people, and yeah. I feel like that's super common. And uh, I wrote a lot, not anything long form at all. I'd write a page and be like, I'm a writer now because <laughs> I wrote a whole page. Um, but that's fine. Yeah. Well, what kind of stuff were you writing? Um... I uh, I had a lot of like writing prompt books when I was in middle school. Huh. Uh, yeah, I was I was a very serious kid. I only listened to classical that, music. That does sound like a pretty nerdy way to get into writing. I read the dictionary for fun <laughs> and would like memorize definitions. And people at my school would be like, "What's the different definition for that word?" And I would read it. Um, so just, what, you only listen to classical music as you were growing up? Yeah, I was kind of a douchebag. <laughs> uh, not that that inherently makes you bad, but I thought I was better than everybody else because I only listened to okay. classical music. Um, well, so wait, so wait, where did that come from? Was that like a parent influence thing? Like that was what your parents listened to at home or something? No, like how do you even get into no, classical music as a child? No, neither my parents are like that at all. Huh. I think I just, I, I was an extremely serious kid aside from the video game stuff. Um, and yeah... I don't know. Huh. I wasn't a fun kid. My parents were constantly <laughs> telling me to lighten up, and my whole life people, you know, thought I'm older than I am, right. which continues to today. Sure. Um, <laughs> I just like your parents being like, listen, seven-year-old, can you just... Can just, you lighten up? Lighten You're up bringing the mood down. <laughs> Real things my parents have said to me. Um, yeah, like, I, I was just, like, really hard on my parents for, like, even spending money. I was, like, a really frugal kid. I was wow. like... That's an unnecessary expenditure. <laughs> you should be watching your finances better, mother. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, so so but yeah, what, what what was the kind of stuff that you were writing about when you were starting to get into writing as like a, a kid or an adolescent or whatever? Um, there was this long thing that I was writing with a friend that was again about kids at school. Yeah. Um, where everyone was like a caricature of themselves, mm -hmm. including uh, the two of us writing it. Um, that was like a uh, we put a lot of time into that. I don't even know where that exists. I remember uh, if I'm going to show my homestuck roots a little <laughs> bit, uh, my friend and I were writing like a fan story. Um, I definitely wrote some fan fiction. Uh, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> good time. It's a party. So, yeah, like when you were, when you were like that age and like getting through school and stuff, like, 
it's like after the point where you realized you were too dangerous to be a neuroscientist, <laughs> did, did you, were you like, well, did you think you wanted to get into like art or writing as the thing that you did or like, what did you go to school for? Um, I started getting more serious about art when I was in middle school because I discovered deviant art and <laughs> there were a lot of artists I found and I was like, I could do that. I've always been kind of good at this. If yeah. I got serious about it, I could be good. Cool. Um, and actually, like, the one artist that I would really credit with kind of kickstarting my um, uh, interest in doing it was Emmy Cesariga, who's oh, just, like, yeah. an incredible illustrator, yeah. who I think has played Dream Daddy. I think <laughs> I recall her tweeting at us. But, so that's, that's like, right. a weird full circle Yeah. Um, that I was too scared to tell her that, like, she was the reason I started doing art, and now I'm saying it on this podcast, and now I know she's going to hear it. So, uh, <laughs> hi. Somebody <laughs> tweeted Emmy and let her know. Yeah. No, 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 to listen to this. Don't tell her why to listen to this. <laughs> just say, listen up to the... Uh, oh, God. 16, 17 minute mark now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so that was a big thing for me. I bought like the dinkiest little tablet I could buy and was drawing stuff in paint. And uh, it just kind of went out from there. And yeah. uh, I was like, I'm going to be a graphic designer because that seems to be the most respectable thing. And then I shadowed a graphic designer and I was like, oh, wait, this sucks. Oh, really? Um, and I'm not good at it. Yeah. Well, because that's very different from just like drawing. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I thought like, that that was. drawings or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was like a natural extension of the yeah. thing. And it's very not, um, yeah. I'm still not great at design, but um, yeah. Which is crazy because like the interface uh, visuals in See, uh, but that's, that's not me, that's our UI guy, Greg Batha, who... But also you were the art director. I mean, I supervised that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And picked colors and made executive decisions. But... <laughs> so yeah, so so, so uh, what, what was what was the uh, interface designer's name, did you say? Sorry. Greg Batha. Yeah, so Greg Batha did the heavy lifting, but you were there to help. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was there to stare over his shoulder and be like, you're doing great, Greg. <laughs> Um, um, so, okay, so you shadowed a graphic designer and you're like, okay, this is not the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah, so I went to a weird little magnet high school where mm. the first two years were all four years of the high school, like honors classes, and by the end of it I would graduate high school. The last two years I would get free college at UNCW. Oh, wow, okay. So that was a good deal. The first two years were incredibly hellish because, you know, I'm a hard worker, but I was up until 4 a.m. every night doing work and then I'd fall asleep in math class the next day because <laughs> fuck math I don't need it yeah um, I'm, I'm the guy that uh, I, I chose to get an art degree because there was no math requirement yeah <laughs> oh my god when I took my last math class and just got out of it and I, it was a beautiful day <laughs> like wow this information is just evaporating from my brain now and I don't need it anymore I this get was that part of my brain back how yeah, nice <laughs> this is a source of daily stress for me since I was five years old goodbye <laughs> Um, Bye numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and now when I try to do tips at a restaurant, it's just like gone. Um, but so, so yeah, so you were in the magnet program yes, before you uh, went to college. So the first two years I did not draw at all. I mean, I doodled in the margins of my papers yeah. and got points taken off of tests <laughs> for doing that. Um, but, and all my teachers were like, Oh, well, you know, you should do like a real art thing. Like you should do a med like medical illustration. And it's like, nobody does that anymore because we have 3d models. Yeah. Like, do you know what you're saying to me? Or like, you should be an art therapist or an art professor. Huh. Um, why, would they, why would they be saying those things? Nothing but an actual illustrator. It was yeah. really strange. They, they really, it's just one of those things where like, Oh, you can't like, you can have a stable career if you use art for this, but like, yeah, but, but yeah. like being an artist was like not the thing. Yeah, yeah. So by the time that I got to the college level courses, like I was a hard enough worker that they just kind of like let me take whatever I wanted. So I just took a ton of art classes yeah. and really built up my portfolio and applied to art schools. 
And I was really obsessive about it because I thought that I was not going to get in anywhere and we didn't have a whole lot of money to afford it. So yeah. I like needed to get scholarships. Right, and yeah. so I spent those two years just like cranking out art. Uh, and around that same time, I started watching Game Grumps and Hot Pepper Gaming, which yeah. I was just really into YouTube and, you know, Game Grumps really got me more into video games and it was yeah. just good background noise while I was drawing. So yeah. I ended up drawing What, what was of... your, like, yeah, sorry, I think you were no, just about to go there. What was your college art? What were you, well, yeah, what were you producing at that time um, as an artist? Just a lot of, like, basic drawing one, like, draw this chair 20 times, draw okay. this pile of shoes. Yeah, uh, okay, so you're, you're, you're drawing from observation and doing yeah. a lot of, like, building up. Kind of skill Foundation. building stuff. Yeah, yeah cool. uh, but I was also doing a lot of watercolor painting. I did some art shows, and uh, I finally got... I was finally, at this point, after several years of using Photoshop and a tablet, I was a lot better at digital art. Yeah. So I drew a lot of fan art for stuff, um, especially Game Grumps and Hot Pepper Gaming, <laughs> and this is important for how Dream Daddy happened, right. so we'll bookmark that for later. <laughs> but uh, I applied to schools, and instead of not getting into any of them like I thought that I would, I got into all of them with like a very high scholarship, so I kind of was able to have my pick. Nice. Um, so I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design. Okay. You're a scatty. Yes. Scatty daddy. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you did you finish at SCAD? No, I did not. I think you are like the fourth person I know and have worked with who is a SCAD dropout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Either professionally or in my personal life. Just like, I bet you didn't <laughs> get your yeah, degree, did I, you? I super don't want to badmouth them, but... It is not for everyone. That's the impression I get. It was not for me. and uh, It seems like a pretty particular kind of experience. Yes. In a lot of ways. And yeah. I wish that someone had told me when I was applying to schools that A, I did not need to go to the best art college. I just needed to go to a, an art college. Sure. Um, and that if you do not have money and if you want to make money, do not spend $60,000 a year on an art education when the internet has so many resources to learn the exact same thing and you will have more time to actually make art instead of being so bogged down with additional work that you have no time to actually produce art. Yeah. Um, so I would just say to anyone listening who wants to apply to art school, think about your financial situation and if you want to be in debt for most of your 20s and so, maybe on. So even like with scholarships and stuff, it was still like oh my God. major I, debt? I got one of the like highest possible scholarship tiers and it was still ridiculous. If I hadn't, I dropped out this year um, and if I hadn't done that, uh, we would have been able to pay for it. Wow. So it was kind of yeah. a glad dream daddy happened. Yeah. yeah, and I mean like... I so I got I got an art degree but from a state school so it's mm -hmm. not like a it's a BA not a BFA. What, what state school? Uh, Portland State. So, oh okay. You know, up in I, basically my wife's from Portland. I moved there in college. I finished at PSU and then gotcha. we moved away for a while and now we're back there. Um, but yeah, I got a sculpture degree um, with an art history minor, uh, but at a state school where like tuition isn't thirty grand or exactly. whatever a year. Um, and I and it's like I don't know. Yeah, the trade offs are so. I don't know, it's, it just feels like such a lottery, you know, where you're like, yeah. I hope I'm the one kid that, like, I mean, like, honestly, I'm talking to somebody, kind of, <laughs> where it's like, everybody is sort of like, oh, I hope that I get this degree, and then I'm like, have some big successful project, and I can pay back all this money, but like, whew, that's not, that's not a lot of people that, yeah. that go in for that stuff. It's um, not. It's scary. The thing that I've noticed is, and not to say that it can't happen, because it definitely can if you apply yourself, but it seems like the people who go in and do really well and are really successful or like leave because they're successful were good when they came in. Mm -hmm. um, and 
you know, but I have also seen a bunch of people come in and get better, but that's definitely a much mm-hmm. smaller percentage. And there are a lot of people who come and just don't improve because whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so were you literally enrolled there until Dream Daddy came out? Yeah, I don't even, I actually don't think I have officially dropped out yet, but I'm not <laughs> going back. I paid off all my loans and, uh, wow. yeah, I nice. was, I, I mean, was, that's awesome. yeah, yeah, good work. Oh, it felt so good. Like just calling in and being like, I'm taking care of this right now. <laughs> cause they well, like, and, and also just like, uh, I'm going to leave art college cause I just was the art director on a really successful game. So like, I think I'm yeah. good. Like, yeah. That's like, right. I, I think I'm all right. Like I kind of came here for like networking and connections and, uh, I'm at IndieCade right now. So it's <laughs> and, good. And instead, uh, I did fan art of a YouTube and then anyway, <laughs> yeah, <not> <laughs> um, um, so, okay. Well, <laughs> wow. That, that's really interesting that you're like right on that. Like you are, you are in the act of dropping out of SCAD. Yeah, and I, <laughs> right they, they know what's up. Like, yeah, I've talked yeah, to a yeah. couple of my old professors, and apparently during one of the summer camps, they were kind of, like, bragging that I went there, yeah. which is interesting. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. They're, I could get on, like, I could do an entire podcast about, like, how I think they should be running the school, but... <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's seems... Art School kinda, Hot Takes, the ha- podcast. Art School Hot Takes. I would start that podcast. Um, <laughs> I think you have a lot of people who could share their, their takes with you. <laughs> so many people who have the same takes. And uh, I just, I think it's kind of backwards to not teach your art students any business stuff until 400 level classes right before they're about to graduate. I think that's the biggest thing, yeah. Like, I know, I know some people that actually now in art schools that, um, there's somebody I know who, like, teaches adjunct in in Portland at like a, a expensive art school and mm-hmm. what they actually the the course that they teach is it's basically like a role playing course where they're like I'm going to role play your client and you have to deliver stuff on deadline and you have to deal with my feedback and we're just going to pretend and people are get to actually like learn something about applying their art and getting work and like being like a responsible kind of professional as opposed to just like yeah. do a better charcoal drawing. That is a hundred percent what I think they should be doing, especially teaching you how to deal with clients who think they know better than you in terms of design and like how to diplomatically deal with that. Yeah. If they're asking for like more rounds of notes than like is commensurate with like what you're being paid and yeah. um, like being on the other side of that for Dream Daddy and being the art director has been like really enlightening. So huh. I think also having experiences where like you are the client would yeah. be really useful. For sure. Um, and just the fact like you, I think from freshman year, you should be trying to work professionally and also just knowing how to like pitch yourself and your work because, and like how to do a critique, how to receive critique are like such important skills that they do not like they should have a class for it you know like here is how you confidently pitch your work because the number of times i've gone into a critique and people you know don't know how to stay quiet when their work is being critiqued they don't know how to give good feedback it's constructive they don't know how to take it if someone like really tears into their work and they'll start off like oh well that's not very good right like i hate it when they do that because it's like if you don't feel confident in your work and you don't want us to see your work then why should we want to see it for sure. Well, and then so, like, having come from a similar background where I was in a lot of, like, crit sessions after a life drawing course or, you know, projects that you're turning in or whatever, yeah, I feel like the the good things, like, the, the really applicable things that I got out of my art education were pretty much all the art history classes that I took, yeah. all the film courses that I took, because they give you perspective on, like, what's been done yeah. whatever either through the ages or since the advent of film but like you get these you know the perspective of like 
you know where stuff you're familiar with came from, or you know when an idea that you had is actually has already been done, and yeah. here it is, and you can like. But so, then you know whatever you do is an homage to that movement or whatever. Yeah, else. but but you at least know that it's there. Yes. Um, and then the, the other side is yeah, like I think that um, going through critique and like learning both to be good at giving critical feedback and actually like listen to it and process it is probably one of the most important practical skills that I've been able to apply is like working on a team and working both interdisciplinary like if I'm giving an artist feedback but also with other designers you know? yeah absolutely and it's so important to be able to communicate what you want clearly yeah um, and a lot of people can't do that and you know there's so many talented artists who just don't really have like the social skills to do that kind of stuff and I really don't mean that as a dig because I definitely used to be like that and I totally understand like if you have social anxiety and you're really introverted that is hard but yeah. it can be learned yeah and that's kind of uh, indicate has been really great for me because I have never felt like this confident in my own work and having to do press for dream daddy and having to pitch it to everyone we hired and yeah. talk about it all the time like I've just gotten really good at like selling the idea yeah. and selling myself and I feel a lot more uh, confident in knowing how to talk to people yeah. and um, network and I, so much of being an artist is being like pleasant to work with right and that will take you so far nobody tells you that I mean I, I try to tell people I'm like the number one quality I look for in somebody I want to work with is are you good at responding to emails oh all, all I want is just write me back and either say it's going to be a little while longer, or I have it now, or here's what's going on. But you know, when you work with somebody, or you're just like, what are they even doing? Did they get my message? Is that thing happening? Is it not? Do they need more time? But I don't know. You know, like yeah. if you can just like keep me in the loop and like be communicative, that's like eighty percent of the battle. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm totally nodding along with like what you're saying, and I hundred percent agree. But I can think of like six different people that I owe emails that are like a week late. So I think this might be the kick in the pants for me to email those people. Uh, I mean, it's also hard when you're busy and there's a lot of other important stuff going on and blah blah. Yeah, blah. I'm but doing, I mean, yeah. Well, just I, I'm just in my own head. I'm like, I generally my goal is to have like only relevant emails unread in my inbox at any given time and so a lot yeah. of times it's like zero or two or five mm -hmm. but like the busier I am the more they're going on it's like oh 30 40 70 120 uh oh yeah. it's, it's hard yeah and you're like responding to this email will take 10 minutes and then an hour later you're like did I word this tactfully enough <laughs> um, but the, the most important email tool that I have uh, activated in Gmail is you can toggle a thing on that allows you to unsend an email within like 30 seconds of hitting what? the send button. I use that every day because I like, I, I, I type it, I read it, it seems fine, I hit send, I reread it, I'm like, wait, that doesn't make sense and I can actually unsend it and fix it. All right, when this is over, please show me how to do that because <laughs> I need that so bad. It's I, so good. It's really, really good. Yeah, I'm in the middle of uh, moving cross country. Uh, so in between Indiecade, like I d duck out yesterday to go like, hurriedly move everything up two flights of stairs into my new apartment uh, and then I was going to come back and I ended up being so tired it didn't happen yeah, yeah. I'm writing a talk that I'm giving later this month we're doing like all this other stuff with Dream Daddy right now yeah. I'm just completely exhausted and every time I think about opening my inbox and answering emails I'm like Ugh. I mean and also welcome to the email tip hour the other thing that um, you can do in Gmail that's super useful is um, there's a flag to 
automatically sort unread messages to the top so that like you just see the bank of unread messages and all Smart. the because like I, I would do that thing where I'm like okay I'm leaving all of my important stuff unread mm-hmm. but now it's like three pages in but you can just like have them float to the top so email email strats pro yeah, strats another hot email tip uh, is there a way to remind you if you say that there's an attachment and you have not attached the attachment sometimes Google just detects that like really? I, I I've had Google like pop- hey idiot yeah are you like, sure literally I've seen like I, I've I have sent a thing and I don't think the parsing is that great or maybe they like turned off the feature or something. For a while I would get a little thing that's like, it looks like you meant to attach something. Do you really want to send this? Uh, but I, have, I haven't gotten that for a while and I know I've forgotten to send attachments. So maybe they, maybe people got too annoyed by that or, or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, what, what we're trying to say is when you become someone that's shipping video games, you do a lot of email. <laughs> Yeah, like sometimes, you, like email is like your main job for a it while. It is. It totally is. Um, there were so many meetings that Vernon and I would do where it's like, okay, we need to write for a couple of hours, and then it just turns into email time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really great quality is uh, to respond to emails quickly. I will love you forever. Yeah, you exactly. Like I would, I would much rather have good communication with somebody who isn't like the most like rock star person in the world than yeah. have a flaky person who could theoretically be doing good work for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So yeah, I mean like what, what kind of, I guess it feels to me like, uh, being involved with game grumps and dream daddy and stuff, at least from what I know of, of, uh, your path into this stuff happened kind of organically. It sounds like like you you were saying that you were in school and you were doing stuff for school, but also you had like done Game Grumps and Hot Piper Gaming like fan art, and presumably you kind of became in the friend circle of of the the Game Grumps folks through that. Yeah. How long um, ago was that? Was that like years ago? Uh, a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, as a point of reference, I just turned twenty like two months ago. Um, so I started drawing fan art when I was like in my last couple of years of high school. Um, so, uh, I was like a really vocal fan of hot pepper gaming, which kind of had like a small vocal fan base. Yeah. Like, it was just a couple of people. Um, I was like about hot pepper gaming. I, I gave them the go ahead and, uh, Gary Witta reviewed Gone Home uh, while eating a ghost pepper. Oh god, I was about to say that like you had done it because I feel like every single person I talk to who knows Vernon is like, oh yeah, I know him. He made me suffer. <laughs> I have never been the crying man. Yeah, <laughs> but... I was like, Hot Pepper Gaming ended before the game came out, but I always secretly hoped that we would do it and <laughs> do like an ad for the game after eating peppers, but I'm actually like very thankful that that didn't happen because yeah. I don't think I could be friends there's with Vernon a, There's that. a chance for, there could be one revival, the Dream uh, Daddy special. Oh god! Um, I think I'm good. I would like to say, like, spare my digestive tract that uh, experience. But, anyways, um, yeah, we became friends uh, over Twitter. We met at a convention and really hit it off yeah. uh, with, you know, along with me and uh, Aaron Schmalfeld and Jared Rosen, and we kind of stayed in touch. And I was did, in LA. did all four of you work on Dream Daddy together? Um, yeah, Jared contributed cool. some writing to Joseph's Path, and Aaron Schmalfeld was the voice of Mary, okay. um, who is Joseph's wife. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, the... Who I thought was like a really interesting character. Oh, she's but, my favorite character but, in the but, game. We, but we can get into the yeah, specifics more, absolutely. but in, in any case. So, so a lot of the foundational people for Dream Daddy kind of all met through that fan community for, for the... Yes, and... Yeah. Um, yeah, I was in LA visiting friends... 
uh, that was when I got dinner with Jared and Vernon, and Vernon was like, you've never been to California before, I have to take you to Disneyland. <laughs> uh, so this is the fabled Disneyland trip right. that I have had to talk about constantly. Um, we went, uh, we were pulling into the parking deck, and we were joking about how we're like only at Disneyland to scope out the DILFs of Disneyland, which is an Instagram <laughs> account. Um, and I was like, you know, I've always had this idea for like a dating sim where you play as a hot dad, and your goal is to meet and romance other hot dads. And Vernon cackled with laughter and was like, that's fucking brilliant. And then we spent the rest of the day at Disneyland waiting in line, like, developing the characters. That's uh, awesome. And I, th- I, for a while, thought that we were, like, doing it as a bit. Like, we went home, and I was like, okay, that was a fun bit. And then I was, like, in the airport waiting to get on my plane, and Vernon was like, hey, I just pitched that idea to the Grumps, and they love it. Do you want to do it? And I was like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? What do you mean, want to do it? Yeah, like, what? <laughs> I thought we were kidding. Um <laughs> And so I, like, texted my dad the idea, and he just responded with a flat, what the fuck? <laughs> Which, understandable. Which, which is also, that's a different kind of thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if it makes your parents say, what the fuck, yeah. you're probably doing something right. Um, and we started working on it. We put together a pitch Bible, and we brought more people on board. Uh, the first yeah. person we officially hired was Tyler Hutchison, which is the game's lead developer and director. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a super talented dude. Uh, he brought in Jory Griffiths, who's our narrative designer. And yeah. they, just everyone that we hired was like a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. Uh, I brought See, also Shannon. game development. Yes. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I brought Shannon Pay on board to be the lead character artist. She was my number one choice. And if you want to find her on Twitter, she's at... Absolutely. Um, she's amazing, and please tell her that she's the best because not only is she incredible, I don't want, yeah, sorry, Jesus. It's cool. Uh, uh, our, our good friend Layton was just stroking the table in front of the mic. No, I'm trying to clean it because there's dust on it. No, I, I appreciate that. I don't, this isn't an ASMR podcast. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, no, it's, it's I, I was just like, <gasps> my, my recording quality. Uh, how did you know Shannon's work? Um, she also drew a lot of Game Grumps fan art. Cool. And uh, she draws a lot of hot boys. And that's And you were like, like wait a second. Like, yeah, this would be a good union. Um, so we got in touch with her. We ended up bringing on a bunch of different background artists. Uh, Anna Pan was the first one that we brought on. So a lot of them were, a lot of the backgrounds were kind of based off of her style. Cool. Um, I mean, the, so the... What, so yeah, what, like as you said, you kind of put a like you said like a pitch bible together. So I guess that's sort of like a it's like a design document or like yeah. a, a, a summary of the game, I guess. Um, but then like what? So I know of and have played a small amount of visual novel games or visual novel style games or games like I don't know Persona that have like elements of visual novel stuff in them. But like where did where did you start as a team? Or even as you as an individual with your thinking about, like, how do you start making the thing? What came first? Um, what came first was figuring out how many characters, what the cast was, yeah. uh, who's our tutorial character, and it being the dad game, it seemed natural that that would be your daughter. Yeah. Um, like Which, by the way, I love the daughter oh. character. Like, both, both visually, she's, like, a fantastic design, and, I mean, the illustration style is just incredibly uh, charming, but, like, she's... She's the exact like. I feel like there's 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 a mind there's a similar mindset that probably I imagine you were thinking in as I was thinking in when I was writing Sam for Gone Home, which mm-hmm. is sort of like 
this like charming, likable, a little bit kind of like weird kid that you that you just want to spend time around yeah. as your starting point, and that totally comes across with the with the precious daughter character in, Good. in Dream Dad. Because I, the whole time I was like, oh my god, what if people hate Amanda? It ruins the whole game if they don't like her. <laughs> Instead, everyone loves her like their very yeah. own precious daughter. <laughs> you know, we tried real hard. There was a lot of intentionality in like every facet of her personality, including the Polaroids that you see at the beginning of the game and how that establishes her character, yeah. like the elements of her visual design. I mean, I was like, sorry, so we we keep trying to get into the details of Dream Dad, and this, this is on yeah. me, because I'm about to go into one. We'll come back to more details later, but right now I just wanted to um, note the really good detail that was the, um, the like, army jacket that she's wearing is visible in one of the early Polaroids, as I remember, and yeah. it's never explicitly called out, but I noticed it, and I was like, oh, she's wearing that jacket. And th- those sorts of things were, like, a really very uh, thoughtful kind of, like, yeah. set of details to just, like, give the player but not force on them. Thank you. Know? you. Yeah, that that was another thing that, like, we... There was a debate over do we put the patch that's on her arm on the jacket and make it visible, and I thought that that would be too obvious. And I also like the idea that Amanda has modded it on her own to create her own thing and the idea that she's kind of, like, worn... Uh, that jacket her whole life and uh, Maddie Gonzalez who did the art for those Polaroids uh, she just had so many great ideas for little touches in there so like Amanda always has a little yellow hair bit throughout the whole thing Um, and just the you know way her hair changes and all that stuff like we had very long email conversations about (laughs) it and she is just an incredible artist and a very smart creative you know that's really cool so okay so, so you started from like who are our characters? How many of them are yes. there? Did you feel like you always had an I Was it clear, like, what the structure of the game was going to be from the beginning? Or, like, how much of it was just, like, the creative, you know, the, the like, premise pitch and then... Or how much of it was, like, seeing the shape of the game as part of the, the starting point? We, uh, after we figured out who the characters were in a very, very loose sense, and most of them we came up with on the day at Disneyland. So, like, <laughs> Damien we came up with for the line uh, to Disney's Haunted Mansion. Um, <laughs> yes. Which should not be surprising. Um, so, yeah, everyone was like, we need to have a goth dad. And I was like... <laughs> what? Why? Um, like he because said, we're that, like, surrounded by skeletons. Yeah, well, he was saying that like it was the most natural thing. We're like, okay, we gotta have a fitness dad. We have to have like a sweet cinnamon roll bear dad, right. and then you know, goth dad, obviously, because who doesn't have a goth dad? Um, <laughs> who doesn't want to date a Sephiroth? Yes. <laughs> um, we were like, okay, we need the bad boy dad who rides a motorcycle and drinks a lot. Yeah. Um, Which and, I, I I didn't I didn't actually get his ending but I played well, did, all of... did you sleep with him no I so oh. I, I got to the point where I could Wise. have gone through to his ending I did his first two dates um, and I just didn't go through to the to the third one but I really liked um, getting to know that character oh. as well um, so, so anyway so you got your archetypes yes and so from there we broke it down into uh, we had a lot of very long meetings where we had this like Google Docs extension where you could make a flow chart mm. so it started with you know, so you've moved into a new neighborhood and next you have the, you're going to have a bunch of meet cutes that will branch out. Yeah. They'll lead back to an event where all the dads will be there. And then it'll kick you to dad book where you can choose who you're going to date. 
And then all of those things, you have a three date structure, all of them come back to, you know, you can date as many as you want. There'll be side quests, stuff with Amanda. Yeah. Um, all of that comes back to another party at the end, which is Amanda leaving for college. Right. So we had that very like basic structure and we kept filling it out until it was more fleshed out. So we were like, okay, so now you can go to the mall or you can go to the park or you can go to this place. Yeah. Uh, this is what this meet cute is here. Are what the dates look like in terms of just beats and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So it was just working on that spreadsheet for a really long time. And at the same time, kind of developing the characters and what yeah. they're like, what the emotional arc for each of them was going to be. Meanwhile, I was designing them and doing concepts and, you know, trying to figure out what it would look like. Uh, and I, everyone keeps asking for an art book and I would really like to do an art book because there's a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff, but I am so hesitant to do it because all of the early concepts are just disgusting. <laughs> um, <laughs> In what sense? Like, I don't know. I, I think I've improved, uh, with my art a lot okay. over the past year. Um, I guess so just, cause just, I, I could have seen that either going towards early, rough, not good. I was like, do you mean like extremely explicit? What was this game going to be? <laughs> Um, yeah, there were like pinups that I drew that weren't that were like a little sexy. Um, it had a lot of debates over like what is the appropriate amount of butt to show. Um, but yeah, I don't know. They're they're just like not too great, and a lot of the early designs for the characters were pretty uh, uninspired, uh, and it took a while to really come around to. You know, I kind of tried to keep in mind like what's easily cosplayable, and cheaply cosplayable, what are like recognizable color blocking on these characters. Yeah. And, Stuff like that. For sure. Um, like how, in their most simplified forms, are these characters still distinct from each other? Yeah. Which is, which is like, just good foundational, like, character design for readability, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then, also, I don't know, it's, it's interesting, yeah, because, like, you were very, it seems like you were very involved with pretty much all of the, you know, like, kind of player-facing aspects of the, yeah. of the game. How did you get into the writing process like who what how would you break down those responsibilities were were you and vernon taking different characters or were you like collaborating on everything or was one person the first one in and the other the editor kind of we, thing or? we collaborated on everything there were there may be like two scenes that I wrote by myself and I don't even think they're actually in the game I think we're gonna add them as like side quests later huh. that's maybe a secret I don't know if you're listening to this podcast. You know, um, but you and, just might have got a secret. Yeah, well, there's a good bit of like the Amanda stuff that Vernon would just be like, "I know you got this. I'm gonna go answer emails right. while we're on the Skype." Well, oh yeah, important preface is that we wrote the entire thing over Skype. Like every single time, it would yeah. just be us on Skype in a Google Doc. Sometimes we'd take turns writing, or we'd both do it, or work on one section while the other one worked on the other section. But most of it but was just like be on video, and then you yeah, would yeah, be like us, like working in documents you were sharing. Yeah, it was really awesome. just trying to make each other laugh, and at other points trying to make each other cry. <laughs> um, and we would like tell stories about our lives and like how we can incorporate that. So it would be like, okay, we need a crazy college story. Let's swap crazy college stories yeah. for ten minutes and like, <laughs> cull them into something good. Or like, what's your experience? with this situation or a lot of times uh, Vernon and I write really well together and you know working with Dream Daddy uh, has been really amazing because we're like so close and we're best friends now yeah um, just because like you can't get that personal with a game and spend you know 12 hour writing days every day and yeah. not become best friends yeah um, so there was a really good book that I read recently called The Animators and I'm blanking on who wrote it um, but it is called The Animators it is okay. an amazing book about the creative process and like creative partnerships huh. and uh, 
there's a bit in that story because the main characters are like making this film together talking about how like the the film was their their gifts to each other and that's exactly what dream daddy is for vernon and i honestly um that's so cool yeah that book made me cry like a baby like <laughs> there, there was a point where i just like threw the book across the room because it was too real for me um, is, is it like a is it a novel it's a novel okay. it's a really good novel about like two female animators making mm. a movie and it's like about mental illness and it's it's just a really like i very highly recommend that yeah. book cool um i mean as as someone who also my creative partner carla like she and i collaborate on everything yeah it's like read it okay. also i was not prepared for that book emotionally yeah and it wrecked me and i couldn't stop <laughs> thinking about it so it's a good time uh anyways we so, so you were, so you were just working process. through all you, know, you were just like there yes in real time just we, like filling in all the blanks for for all this stuff once you had it it sounds like you spent a good amount of time blocking it out in like yeah. flowchart form and then you're like well now we need this conversation now we need this scene and yeah you're just like throwing muscles on, on the skeleton um yeah <laughs> sorry that's a good phrase i haven't heard it before i totally I. get it because <laughs> i'm totally just picturing like a party game where people are just like throwing muscles at a skeleton it's like wetly flapping off exactly the cage. yeah um, uh. but yeah we work really well together um because we both definitely have our strengths with the writing and a lot of times i'll be like the joke that I want here is this type of joke, but I cannot come up with a good joke for exactly what this is. And right. be like, no, no, I got it. <laughs> um, so the number of times that it would just be like, oh, no, I got it. Or just like, he's not paying attention um, and I'm going to fuck with him by writing something stupid right here. <laughs> like, there are a lot of those lines in the game that we just wrote as jokes that yeah. we meant for each other, but that we ended up keeping because they're funny. That's awesome. One that I can think of off the top of my head is, like, uh, you're sitting with Damien the goth dad on a bench and Damien's like, you know, in the Victorian era they used to call benches seedy boys. <laughs> <laughs> It's so stupid, and I love it. Um, another one, like, we ended up pulling that joke format out a lot, like, in the Victorian era, X, like, yeah. uh, Damien talking about Joseph's creepy twins, like, you know, in the Victorian era, they would have sent those two twins off into the woods until one killed the other and came back stronger. Um, <laughs> another one was, uh, did you know that penguins are the goths of the sea? <laughs> I think those are all Vernon lines. So um, now I need to see. I didn't even play Damien's. Oh, uh, Damien's now like I my favorite. To. Damien and Robert are my two favorite paths. They're yeah. the ones that I'm the most proud of. Yeah. Um, I really. Okay, fuck it. So now we're just going to yeah, go, go into Dream Daddy dive and I'll deep just fucking like. Uh, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really liked um, the. I think that. So, so okay. So, Dream Daddy. Um, Pretty relatively straightforward, like visual novel, like branching visual novel format, um, with a very unique premise and and so forth. But also, it has in each of the branches, in each of the the, the characters' um, branches, there's like one or two mini games, uh, mm -hmm. generally, right? Like yeah, around there. and like I think I think mini games can be pretty divisive in terms of like yeah, it's like you're in there for a minute, maybe it's good, maybe it's not, maybe it fits with yeah. things, maybe it doesn't. It's like having a mini game in a game is just sort of like a challenge in the first place because it has mm -hmm. to feel natural, but obviously it's also its own weird little thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I really like when mini games can, A, not be hard because you don't want to like start playing some arbitrary thing and then like lose a bunch of times. Yeah. And B, basically be the framework for jokes. And so Robert's 
whittling minigame was I was certainly my favorite one, and it was just because it was setting up. It's just it's such a like okay. So for for reference for for people listening at home, Robert is the tortured, dark past, like hard drinking loner dad who's like oh he's you know he's so troubled. I want to like get to his you know soul or or and. And so he does, like, tough guy things, like, you're hanging out, and he drives you out to, like, basically, like, make out point, and you, well, A, that... Uh, I think he would call it masturbation. Exactly. Right? Like, A, that line was, like, a huge laugh out loud, laugh out loud moment for me. I'm so glad. That was another one that we put in, like, as a throwaway thing. Right. And for, if you haven't played the game, um, Robert drives you out to the middle of nowhere after showing up at your house in the middle of the night, and just, like, get in the car, and you, like, listen to Tom Waits... Um, and you get there, and you're like, where are we? And he's like, this is where I come to masturbate. <laughs> Which is uh, and, one of my favorite and, lines in the game. And then your character is like, what? what? Really? He's like, no. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, but, but what you do is you sit in the back of his pickup truck, and uh, you whittle with him. And he's good at whittling, and you're a classic, just kind of like dopey dad, who is now, you see like a block of wood, and then you basically start like dragging your mouse over it, and it reveals kind of like a scratch-off card or something like what your character was whittling. And it's something like a big block of wood turns into like a toothpick, or mm-hmm. an egg, or something, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, and the thing that, that I really liked was how, A, the visual itself is a good joke that you're just playing along with. Very like, it's a block. What's it going to turn into? I can see half of it. What is mm-hmm. that? Is this a horse? No, it's a dog. Wait, I don't know <laughs> if I can tell what it is. Um, and then secondarily, it has the, <laughs> the really good follow-up joke setup, which is you made a thing, and then yeah. it's a description of the thing. And sometimes it's it's kind of straightforward, like I don't know, like a dog question mark or something yeah, like that. Or, uh, like you you sculpt a horse, and one of the options is like a very large dog. Right, and and like when you do the toothpick it just says you made like a tough guy accessory i think yeah. and the, the based on the dialogue choices i made uh there was i think so i you'll remember better than me but i think it's like you you end up whittling something that's like very phallic and it just says you made robert uncomfortable <laughs> yeah that's my favorite one you whittle a chicken nugget and then you like mime eating it and he's like stop stop and uh, yeah you made robert uncomfortable i think i can't remember uh we had like I wrote a bunch of jokes for that. Um, the game was made by Alejandro Juan Madrid, who is a really great guy who did uh, a bunch of the mini games yeah. in this game, uh, like the radio mini game, the skee ball mini game, and this one. And I'm sure there are others that I just can't think of. But uh, I ended up writing like it last minute, like way longer jokes for that, and I got really into it, where it was like branching jokes that you could get into. And I really want to put them in because, like, the ones that are in there are good, but the ones that I wrote afterwards are, like, <laughs> so silly and ridiculous. Um, like, I, I think there's one where you carve a worm, and like, I wrote these with Vernon. Yeah. Um, and he, like, tells a story about this inchworm that you made, and it's a really <laughs> long story about how he has to, like, feed his family and provide for his children. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy that. A really the whole ethos behind mini games uh, in this game were that uh, we want to break up the monotony of reading. Yeah. Um, and every mini game has to be a joke, like right. and it has to be a dad joke, um, and be a fun <laughs> surprise. And uh, we drew a lot of inspiration from 
not going to touch the table. Um, <laughs> we drew a lot of inspiration from like Frog Fractions, where yeah. like every progression of that game is like a new surprise or a joke. Yeah. And uh, of course, I, Rachel Sala, who worked on that game, worked on our game also. Yeah. So uh, good friends of ours. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was really important to have that like element of surprise because like what is comedy but surprises, right? Um, and subverting expectations. So. Yeah. I, I know the mini games are kind of like infuriating for some people, but like if you, with the knowledge that your performance in the mini games does not have a whole lot of standing on, you know, if a dad will like you or not, yeah. a lot of them are just silly. Like we thought they would be fun if you're doing a let's play or if you're playing with a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, just an interesting thing, like watching people play the golf game, like they get really invested in it because yeah. it's hard, or like <laughs> on Matt's third date where you, uh, it's a mini game where it's a keyboard and you have pretended that you know how to play the piano and now you are on stage oh, right. at a talent show and there's a ska beat and you just have to slam on the keyboard and we put up like the lyrics so you can sing along and we're just like, please sing along. <laughs> and there's you, there's no way to play a song. You're just like mashing yeah. on the keyboard and there's like some keys that make like dog bark sound effects and right. stuff. <laughs> it's just like a silly, fun thing to do with your friends and yeah. you know. I think the intended experience to play a dating sim is to just get like a little smash with your friends and then start dating dads and right. like, make uh, decisions as a whole. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I think that's something that is really important about the game, and I think it's something that um, that not a ton of games have, and is considered to be hard. But just like making a game that's legitimately funny is challenging. Um, and, and kind of rare, you know, and I think a lot of games that have been more popular recently are popular because they can be funny for things like streaming. Like, you know, yeah. like right now we're in the midst of the like player unknowns battleground still being like a huge phenomenon. Yeah. And I think it's because you see a clip from somebody's stream and something really unexpected and hilarious happens and they like get killed when a Jeep flies out of nowhere or something. It's like, well, I want to play that. That's hilarious, you yeah. know? And then also, there's a crazy like, tactical shooter multiplayer thing but like I think that you know Dream Daddy it's not the kind of emergent collision of of you know systems like when you see some crazy clip from an open world game or something but it is that you guys made a game that it is natural and that there's space for crafted humor right like mm -hmm. it, there's a there's the game makes sense to just have a lot of jokes in it that are yeah. funny on purpose, and I think that you know a big part of that is um, establishing a tone that 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 feels like it makes sense, you know. Yeah. Um, and and so you know something that I think really stands out to me about Dream Daddy is that you know generally speaking, it's like a very good natured game, you know. Like I I find it I wouldn't quite like. Because the, the thing that came straight to mind was, like, it's it's a very, like, positive game. Mm -hmm. That's sort of true in as much as, like, it has that, like, good-natured feel to it. But also it's not, like, only nice things exist in this game or yeah. something, right? Like, it, it has a tone that that feels lighthearted in some ways, but also isn't afraid of having darker elements to people's characters and actually, like, addressing them and stuff. Yes. That was super intentional and... Boy, I'm going to get into my whole thing about this. I'm giving a talk on this subject later this month, so <laughs> I'm like deep in it right now because I'm researching. Go for it. But this is a concept called metamodernism. Uh, and if you're familiar with art movements, which you should be, yeah. art, um, 
So postmodernism is like very. Uh, I will stop touching this. Table. I'm <laughs> no, so you know sorry. what? No, I invite you. <laughs> this is an ASMR podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk about games. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Go. Yeah. Go uh, Follow your OCD with, with this dust spec. Oh, because oh, it's like not dust, it's, no, like it's chips like, on it's, the table. Oh, is that chipped? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like stuck to it. See, now you're doing it. Okay. Um, anyways, yeah, yeah, cover it up. Put a coaster <laughs> on top of it, now I can't see it. I'm just going to turn the other way. Um, that tree isn't, the tree on the wall isn't straight. <laughs> I'll close my eyes. Anyways, Here, postmodernism. focus on me. I have no flaws. <laughs> Um, postmodernism is really obsessed with cynicism and irony, and I think the perfect example of postmodernism is something like South Park, which is so, you know, the only way to win and to be right is to not care about anything. And, you know, that was a response to modernism, and right now, uh, postmodernism doesn't really give us the tools that we need to meaningfully navigate and engage with internet culture and media as it exists today. And so the response to that movement is metamodernism, which is really interesting because the Metamodernist Manifesto was written in part by Shia LaBeouf, who has been doing all of those weird art installations. And, um, you know, if you, on the surface, it's like, oh, he's doing this for attention and like putting a bag over his head. But if you like really get into the meaning behind that piece and some of the other stuff that he does, it's really about like, Metamodernism is about separating distance between different identities and seeing how the internet helps that happen because mm. you have all these different people who are coming together over shared things. And it's also an acknowledgement of how we all have these layered identities of who we are based on how we present ourselves on the internet and to friends and family and you know how the internet really just acknowledges that you contain multitudes. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, a really good example of that is uh, Childish Gambino's album, Because the Internet. There's this great, like, long essay series about why that's, like, a metamodernist masterpiece. Okay. Um, because it's one of the first pieces of, like, very good media that really acknowledges, like, how the internet affects you and uh, our dynamics with how we acknowledge celebrity and how yeah. that works. You know, responding to that as an actual person and not just as, like, the symbol of celebrity. Yeah. So the thing where Shia LaBeouf sat in the room and with the bag over his head, a lot of people went into that and had, like, a very meaningful experience because when you're in the room with him, you're confronted by the fact that this person who you have only ever seen as a symbol to project things onto and that you don't really know them, they're a real person just like you. You're sharing a space a lot of people went into that room and he was crying and they would cry with him and hold his hand and like huh. have a really meaningful moment with another human being beyond you know who you thought you knew yeah. just from what you see of how they project themselves on the internet and you know in the media yeah so i think he's doing like such fascinating stuff with the movement but the core of metamodernism is that uh, while modernism is a little bit on the like sincere side and postmodernism is heavy on the uh, cynicism side, metamodernism acknowledged these two poles and oscillates between them. Mm -hmm. So you have things like uh, Rick and Morty, Bojack Horseman. Uh, I don't know why I'm only naming like two animated shows, but <laughs> other thing like other things that are really popular right now are just things that have seem like very cynical and silly on the surface, but deep down have this like very deep emotional core mm. that like grapples with identity and mental illness and I mean, trauma. That's like, that's like a big part of what uh, I feel like the um, paradigm in like Undertale can yeah, be. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, sure. Um, so you can see these things that are so like wildly successful all kind of follow. 
you know, emotional core cynicism. And that was like what we were aiming for with Dream Daddy. And it's been super interesting talking to people at Indiecade because they'll talk about the exact same thing I'm saying, but not have never heard of metamodernism. And so the talk that I'm giving this later this, later this month is about how understanding metamodernism is the key to unlocking the internet. Uh, because if you look, I, I like break down meme culture and internet humor and how that corresponds with it. And like the, the talk is called, how do you do fellow kids, how to write for the internet without embarrassing yourself. Um, and I just talk, like give a lot of examples of um, how uh, here are bad examples of brands trying to relate or things directly referencing memes right. and like, if you directly reference memes, it's the kiss of death. But if you understand why we make memes, you can write something that is analogous but not the same, which right. is what we did with Dream Daddy. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, like, so A, like, I, I hadn't heard of the term metamodernism until you brought it up. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm learning. Yeah. Uh, and, that's, and that's really interesting because, you know, like, that is clearly the space that people who are in kind of, like, the art school discourse now would mm-hmm. would be exploring because it's yeah. like what's happening now it's contemporary right um the other thing is like this is something that um that i that i thought about when i was when i was first uh, talking to you about um doing an interview is you know something something that i think is um interesting and cool about uh you know indie games like people being able to make and release games not through traditional like publisher mm-hmm. commercial means is like I feel like something that is really critical to Dream Daddy's success as a as a piece you know and to people's reaction to it is that like as you noted you're like very young for being you know like a, a working yeah. like game developer and I think that the voice of the game being from someone who is, like, of the generation that is currently, like, coming into adulthood and, like, that is part of the, you know, the, like, the current generation of how people communicate online and how people think about the media that um, that they're encountering is, like, crucial to the game being what it is. Um, and, you know, like, if this, you know, like, if this was XYZ, years ago 10 15 20 years ago it's way harder for someone who's like 19 to be like one of the primary voices of a game that's going to reach a lot of people and have like a big team supporting it and everything it's like you have to work your way up and blah 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 and like i i think there's a lot of different reasons to be engaged with like what indie games are doing and have done and like something that i've always thought and I've said to people about like why the last ten ish years of game development and what's changed in that time has been important is that it's basically you know like bringing the means of production and distribution for these things to many more people than would have had access yeah. to it um, in the past. And and you know I kind of thought of that in the abstract of like oh cool more different people can make games and put their voice out there and you know that extends to also oh so now we can see in like kind of like a, a fully like you know robust kind of released game the voice of someone who usually you know traditionally is not like the voice of a thing that that you're playing yeah. and that that wouldn't that wouldn't happen otherwise um i think it's really interesting um from the outside um yeah. did i mean how intentionally did you think about the voice that you wrote in compared to like how people would react to it or or was it more like you were your own barometer for what felt authentic or how you wanted to phrase things or whatever um i think that 
Vernon and I are both very, like, Vernon coming from the content production angle of making things for the internet is, he he talks a lot about compressible content theory, which is essentially, like, the uh, more easily compressible that your idea is, the further it'll travel online. Yeah. So something like Hot Pepper Gaming, like, that's exactly what it says on the tin. Dream right. Daddy, exactly what it says on the tin. Um, so, uh, and then me coming from having grown up on the internet and be uh, constantly consuming content, we kind of combined to understand what works on both ends. Yeah. And uh, that being said, the way that we wrote the game and like the voice of Player Dad and the voice of Amanda and all the characters are just like different aspects of our personalities. Like yeah. writing Player Dad was so easy because it was just like, cool, we're going to project all of our anxiety into this <laughs> guy. Yeah. Um, and same with Matt. Robert was just kind of the side of us that really likes improv and doing bits. Um, Brian was like our competitive side. Uh, Mary was just like salty drunk lady side. Um, and Amanda is honestly like my self insert. Um, her relationship with player dad is a really big parallel to my relationship with my dad. So um, who I'm very close with because I mostly grew up with him in, in a single parent household. And uh, yeah, you get really close and yeah. uh the game kind oh, of so you were in fact game. the the precious daughter of I was dad. in fact the precious daughter yeah I oh, think cool. Amanda's way cooler than I am but um and probably a much better like daughter than I am <laughs> she um, is a very thoughtful supportive daughter I mean yeah at least she didn't make a game about like dads kissing dads and then be like hey dad check out this game I made <laughs> um well, I mean like I mean how how much of the um stuff in the game about that relationship was like drawn like very directly from your experience um, a lot of it, yeah. uh, but some of it kind of plays out in other ways, like, uh, yeah, definitely. Robert's alcoholism, um, kind of came a lot from like dealing with my mom, who is great and will probably listen to this podcast. So hi mom, I love you. Um, <laughs> but also real things happen in families. But sometimes, also real things happen in families and I had a really rough childhood mm. and, um, I, I, my dad and I went through a lot together yeah. and that brought us a lot closer together and. Uh, kind of, I know it's hard for like a single dad to navigate raising a daughter. Like that's a difficult yeah. thing, especially when there aren't many like other women uh, in your life. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that that's a really personal thing, and you know, I, I guess if you didn't play Robert's Third Date, um, he kind of has a whole arc with his daughter, and you spoilers for Robert's path. Um, you find out that he's you know been drinking a lot more lately because his daughter is coming to visit and she's estranged because he like neglected her when she was a kid and now she hates him and his wife died and he like yeah. cheated on his wife and you know he's like she must have died hating me and I'm just full of regret and guilt yeah. and um I like my daughter wants to patch things up but like I don't think I can do it and I don't I don't like deserve her love yeah. um and you know if you encourage him to kind of deal with his shit uh she comes up to you in the epilogue and is like hey I do not want to carry around this anger anymore because it's it's like making me an angry toxic person and yeah. like i i'm too young to be that angry and i just really want to make things okay with him and like that was a really uh direct pull from my life sure um well i think that's something that like that's something that's really valuable to 
when you choose a premise for something, you're choosing what you have access to, you know? And so you saying, I'm going to make a game about a dad and a daughter and relationships and people that live in a neighborhood means that you can actually say, like, maybe a lot of this is actually really relevant to my own experience. And I can say, like, this scene feels right to me because I remember it. And I can adapt that into something that applies to these characters, but that comes from experiences that I, like... I can I can feel whether yeah, it's yeah. right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, every time people say that the game the, the writing is like very real and authentic, like that means a lot, but it also makes sense because so much of it are just direct pulls. Craig's issues with never feeling like what he's doing and is enough even though he's like killing himself overworking and like being super anxious and you know, that huge Robert self loathing, uh, Matt's social anxiety and being afraid to talk to people and to, you know, be creative in front of other people mm. uh, Hugo being afraid to like what he likes Damien obsessing over death anxiety like all yeah. of that are it's just completely direct um, Amanda's personal quest of like the th- stuff that she goes through with her friends happened to me uh, you know Joseph's you, you had two Erica's <laughs> <laughs> I had two no I seriously had two Emma's they didn't Emma's Emma's that's it's, right. it's, it, the situation was like kind of similar what happens in the game is like exaggerated but my dad yeah. could never remember which one was Emma B and Emma C <laughs> um, see I, I I made that poll though when there yeah. was the um, the dialogue test where you have to say which Emma it was I remembered yeah. I got that anyway you're, you're a good dad <laughs> I was proud of being a good dad um, but like at the end of the Joseph Joseph path when you like get the I guess regular ending Um, there's stuff that he tells you that's like a real thing someone said to me of like oh being with you like helped me realize that I really love my partner or (laughs) or ex-partner I wasn't uh, it's not a you know the situation you you got to be the person that drove someone back to their ex yeah which feels so good Uh, (laughs) so wanted to impart that on the player it's a fun experience yeah um yeah. Anyways, uh, well, I mean, I think yeah. like being able to pull from personal anxieties is like you're like like fiction is making stuff up, yeah. but also drawing from personal anxieties means that like the important stuff you're not just making it up. Yeah, you know? like so, like I, I don't know if you know anything about Minerva's Den, the DLC that Carla and I did together. Yeah. So it was a it was a Bioshock spinoff thing. So like you know retro sci-fi thing, but it basically. The high level is we were like, okay, Rapture is this kind of steampunk society and there's all this like computerized stuff in it, so let's go to the part of the city where like the computer mainframe is and explore what that means. And also, it comes from the System Shock series. So I was like, oh, like an AI that can talk and like impersonate other people, like we mm-hmm. could play with that from like the where the series came from. And so the, the highest level is it's about this guy who, you know, he went down to Rapture after um, he was involved like Sorry, this is deep lore. So, so the, the background is, like, something that we drew from was, something I liked about Bioshock was they kind of had real events and real people as being, like, relevant to the fictional characters or kind of in the periphery or whatever. So it's it it an American who went to help with the war effort in World War II by helping, like, program computers with Alan Turing. And, mm-hmm. like, his wife died in the Blitz of London, and then he was like, why did I do all this? I'm going to go down to Rapture and just be focused on, like, my own thing, like... You know, somebody I cared about died for somebody else's war, and this is—I'm going to go be self-interested in yeah. in this underwater city. But then he uses computer technology to basically try to recreate his wife's personality through the computer, and that's kind of his like uh, can't get away from it thing. Right, but the place that, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I hope you would find it. Excuse me, find it interesting. Um, it's it's basically I was just so I was in a session yesterday at, at Indicade, and basically like Minerva's Den, Gone Home, and Tacoma kind of make like a three-part 
thing. Carla and I worked on all of them together, and they, they feel like they're as a, of a piece, I think. Um, but the starting point for that was like, I had just come off of working on Bioshock 2, and I had spent a lot, like, you know, cornily, like, spent a lot of, like, late nights at the office where I was like, I'm not seeing my wife very much. And, like, what if I was spending all my time making this fucking video game, and then she was just gone? And I was like, well, why was this how I was spending my time? Like, this is the kind of thing that you have, like, real anxiety about. Yeah. And so then, you know, going from there to being like, if that's what this this fictional character is concerned about and what drives them, that forms a, like, real kind of, like, relatable emotional core. And then, like, the fictional specifics are like, built on top of that. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's really interesting... That it sounds like, yeah, the cast of characters in their totality, like the other dads and Amanda and the player, kind of are this kaleidoscopic view of your different obsessions or, you yeah. know, uh, uh, anxieties that kind of manifest in these different forms. Yeah, I mean, like, all art is a self-portrait, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. And Dream Daddy is, like, a huge uh, mutual self-portrait of her right. and I. <laughs> well, it's funny. That's true in writing. It's also true in art. Like, yeah. whenever you draw a character, you're drawing yourself. Yeah. You can't help it. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, seeing, especially with Twitter, like, seeing people's art for a long time and then seeing a picture of them. It's like, that makes sense. Yep, yep. Um... And I think so, but but going along with that, the flip side is like you know if you're not doing autobiography, mm-hmm. then you do it you know through a filter of other characters. And I think that's something that is really interesting is you know you had that starting point that was sort of the um, the you know the one line what that was like a game where you. Plays our dad, dad and, your goal is to meet dads. romance with their hot dads yeah. while uh, uh, raising your eighteen year old daughter. Man, I had it so down earlier today. <laughs> But, like, starting from there, what it means is that, like, you were signing up for, once you get into production, you're like, I'm going to write from a lot of gay or queer men's perspectives yeah. in, in this game. And actually, that's what the entire game is going to be about. And um, I don't know what Vernon's, you know, like, uh, personal... Uh, He's straight. Yeah, yeah. So so it's like, you guys were, were certainly going into saying we're going to write from a perspective that in one way or another is not like our own personal life experience and have yes. to project into that. And I think that's really interesting because like, I mean, saying, signing up to do a good job at that is hard and then doing a good job at it is hard. But like, what was there a point where you were like, oh, like we have to think about how we're approaching this like when you were starting in or when you were starting to write characters and feel them out yeah so um when the idea originated with dad stating dads we didn't necessarily uh we didn't necessarily want to make a game that was about like gay issues we wanted to make a game that had like positive representation of here's like here are just these relationships and these people existing as they are because we already have a lot of narratives that kind of cover the angst and the complexities of being gay and this is like a romantic comedy and not that we couldn't cover that if this okay as a bisexual lady if this game had been about lesbian relationships I would have felt way more comfortable actually getting into the experience of dating women and navigating that space. But because neither Vernon and I are a gay man, we didn't want to insert ourselves into this thing to talk about um, 
you know, a lot of the minutiae of what life is like as a gay man. Right. Um, and we just wanted to cover it from, like, a general angle that we knew we could talk about. And we did have a lot of consultants on the game, and we had a ton of people, like, reading it and giving us notes on it. And yeah. um, we wanted to keep it, like, really positive and light and just right. let these characters exist in their own space and let them be gay and it not be a big deal because right. that like right now that's just all I really just want to have media where it's like here's a gay character but their entire arc isn't about being gay um, and like normalizing that stuff and making it okay and um, yeah like we don't know what we don't know and so much of game development is trusting other people to know what you yeah. know and uh, that I mean, applies you know, to just, everything and it's involving a lot of people who have had lived experience in like yeah. the development process to like give you perspective. Like that's a huge, yeah. huge important thing to. So to do. we knew the story. Like we were confident in the stories that we were able to be te- to tell, and we were not confident in being able to be like this is exactly what dating as a single gay father is like. Right. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the angle there, and I'm sure you also have a similar perspective on it from Gone Home. Right. Yeah. Where where we basically we. We didn't like. We didn't even start from the premise being like this is going to be about like a queer young woman discovering like her or you know like a the game isn't about her discovering her shit. That was something that I actually discovered or that I learned through research was like the specifics of that I can go into in a second. But the point being, we didn't start from who the character was or what the the issues were going to be. We started from. You're going to explore a house, and the story should be about the family that's in the house, and they need to have conflict that's kind of, you know, irreconcilable on some level. So, what could be going on with this family? And we were like, uh, you know, like Romeo and Juliet falls yeah. in love with like the wrong person, but that's not very current. So we were like, well, okay, if they're like a queer kid, that can be really hard for a family, especially 25 years ago or whatever. And Carla and I just both were more interested in writing from a female character's perspective. And so we're like, okay, so here's Sam. And I did have that, like, bolt of realization at some point. I'm like, oh, I'm like a 30-year-old straight guy, and I have to write this, like, teenage lesbian's perspective. Yeah. And that was the point where I was like, uh, that means I have to do research. <laughs> like, I have to, like, read as much as I can and also interview people that are kind of, like, in my social circles about mm-hmm. their own personal experience so that I can hopefully understand enough and have enough specific life details to draw from that it feels like it's, like, not just my, you know, first idea about what, yeah. you know, oh, what would that be like? It's like, well, you're just going to draw from, like, the TV shows and movies and stuff that you've seen. Um, and, yeah, that was something that I really, that, that I'm, one of the many reasons I'm really glad I did that research is from reading about people's um, own experiences of, like, coming out and kind of, like, realizing what their own orientation was and stuff mm-hmm. was so many of the women that I read their perspective from were like I always knew that I was attracted to women but I didn't know that that was a thing or what that meant and then at some point like when I was a teenager or whatever I realized like that's a thing and there's a word for it and now my conflict was how do I interface between this thing that I've always known was me and now my understanding that that's like a thing that the world has to also deal with and how do I navigate the social aspects of yeah. that and, and perception and stuff. But being like, if I hadn't done that research, maybe I would have been like the standard thing of like a teenage girl being like, what are all these feelings? But instead <laughs> yeah. it's like, I, I wanted to, for, in my head I was like, no, Sam has always known this about herself yeah. and now 
she has to actually navigate that with other people, and that's the conflict. Yeah, it's less about, like, discovery and more about acceptance with yourself and, like, reconciling that with what is already a part of your identity. Well, and it's the anxiety of, like, yeah, letting other people, either that you're forced to know, like kids in school, Mm -hmm. or that you are part of your life, like your family, like yeah. this thing about you that you don't know how they're going to react. And I yeah, feel like and that's something, something that's like, that, ex- oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like, <laughs> the, like, like on, on some level, that's something that almost anybody can identify with. Like yeah. there's this thing that I don't know how people are going to feel when they find out what it is. Yeah. And it's such an intimate fact about yourself also. Right. Um, so that's really difficult. And uh, I guess the other thing in relation to Dream Daddy is that I did not want to get too into the specifics of what it's like to be a gay man because I don't want to speak over actual gay men and right. their experiences because I think it's not my place to do that. Yeah. But if I can make something that's positive and representative and take this opportunity that I have to reach a lot of people to do that, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and definitely in future work, I would like to keep doing that. But based on uh, my interests and like my experiences in the future, it's definitely going to be about lesbian relationships and women-loving women because that's what I know how to do and definitely can write more authentically because I can relate to that day-to-day experience. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like maybe that's part of where the idea came from that allowed you to talk about like queer perspective or issues that weren't as close to you so it's like there's a little bit of like that like distancing yeah I mean there's like some of the I mean there's definitely like a bit of overlap with just like being queer yeah um, yeah and so I can definitely understand that and but I guess when that. when you just said that to me I'm like oh could it have felt like it was like too much to deal with like as directly with your own personal experience like yeah, as a starting point you it, know? it is like kind of exhausting to have to relive all that stuff and you know put well, that it out can be, there yeah it can be scary to be like, no, this is literally me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like this, I, I mean, I had to come out before the game came out because I was not like publicly out, and I was like, oh, we can't release this game if I'm not out because it's going to come up, and I don't want to be the face of this game where it's like, oh, she's straight, and Vernon's straight, so like they can't <laughs> say this, and so that was like a hard thing for me to do, and it of course went over fine. I, yeah. Something that I was extremely anxious and terrified of for <laughs> years and years and years, Um, especially even coming out to my parents, it was just like, they were like, oh, yeah, kind of figured. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, I, and just from a personal perspective of just like, I just want more stuff with queer characters in it where they can exist. And I'm sorry that like, and I feel bad because it seems like a lot of people who, wanted to play Dream Daddy and were excited about it, uh, really wanted it to engage more meaningfully with those issues or engage more meaningfully with queer right. culture. But that's not the game that we were trying to make. And right. I'm sorry if that like expectation doesn't line up. And I wish that it could have been that for those people, but But I also think that like the the premise of Dream Daddy is that it takes place in some version of like a, a fantasy world. Yeah, it's you like know? escapism. Yeah, and it's because it's like, okay, there, I mean, okay, well, I just about said there's not going to be a neighborhood where it's just, like, six hot dads all live on your yeah. block. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe the Castro. <laughs> there are neighborhoods. Uh, but, it, but it doesn't feel like it's that either, right? Yeah. Like, Dream Daddy isn't set in, like, the gay neighborhood of a city. It's just sort of, like, it's set in, like, a town. And yeah. there's a bunch of hot dads there. And, like, it's a... It's it's outside of our reality enough that I think it would have felt very counter to the game that you made. 
I, I think that a lot of the issues that, that you bring up is like a, about real people living in the real world and yeah. Dream Daddy is like as enough of a distance from the real world that it doesn't feel like those characters would have that experience in that version of like yeah and it's the world it, it's that, a romantic comedy that's supposed to be funny make you laugh and like just feel good about yourself and your relationships and to have to start putting in that minutia from a storytelling perspective of like what it is like to be a queer person like okay I came into this bar is it safe for me to be here like is my haircut giving me away or my clothes giving me away can I hit on this girl is this girl straight is this girl gay like how do I navigate this like is she single uh, dating in a town where like there's a or like you know if you're in a small town like the queer community is small and it's like if you're friends with all those people everyone has dated each other who is poly like who like what's the scuttle but like it's, right. it's really difficult and just like am I safe to like hold hands in public can I kiss this person in public like yeah. I just didn't want to get into that because it's a romantic comedy and I think there we could have done that but it was not the game that we were trying yeah. to make I mean there's a, there's a multiplicity of perspectives that you can represent with your work and a thing yeah. can be looking at uh, a, a certain level of fantasy reality that has its own parameters and then working within that right and I mm -hmm. think that there's something that like I think the flip side of that is that it probably made you freer to explore some other things about the characters because they live in this world that is like only the thing that Dream Daddy is yeah you know? um I don't know. It's it's just so yeah. It's so interesting. I like. I think that um, I'm I'm really grateful for games that just have a feeling of positivity to them um, because you know I don't know. Like it is important to to deal with with realness, and it's also important for people to have like a place where they can pretty much mostly just feel good about things for a little yeah, while. Absolutely. And looking at uh, you know, my history with gaming personally, like I gravitate towards stuff that is escapist where I can just like decorate my home and go fishing. Right. And like <laughs> I don't know, make friends with cute animals. Uh, I, I've had an, well in in the house where we so like we made gone home we all rented a house together and we made the game in the house and we had an animal crossing town together in in the gone home house Beautiful. so very familiar with the with the draw yeah and just having an experience it's fun and i think right now more than ever people need a place where they can like feel safe and comfortable exploring like their gender and their sexuality and, yeah uh you know even with the character creator it was super important to us to like be able to have a trans dad or right. just gender neutral or more feminine and honestly I would have made that character creator so much more robust if we had more time <laughs> and more resources because I really wanted you to just be able to run the full like gamut of right. whatever you could look like yeah um, I, I really like the character creator that you shipped though it had a really I think I mean I like a character creator that is sort of detailed yeah. yeah, yeah, I really wanted it to, I mean, character creation is, like, my favorite part of any game, mm -hmm. um, and I really wanted you to have options of, like, if you want to wild out and make a wacky, silly, pastel Goku dad, you can, right. but if you want to make, like, a cute man bun dad, you can do that, too. I had the middle ground where, um, because I was playing a lot of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is all about winning chicken dinner, mm -hmm. um, I, I was actually creating my dad while I was, like... I was on like a, I was in a Slack channel with uh, with a friend online, and I was like sending her screen grabs of my dad, and then like 
it we realized that I was starting to the guy who was making was starting to look like Colonel Sanders. And so I just went all in and I was like, okay, tough, sexy Colonel Sanders with like the toothpick mouth. And so then I named him Chicken Dinner because I was obsessed with uh, with getting chicken dinner in, in Battlegrounds. And so I had my Colonel Sanders dad and everyone called him Chicken. And then like, you know, partway through the game, there's the part where you're in the Hot Topic and um, Amanda is talking about the time that she like puked in the corner. And she says her full name and she's like, this is a place where I, Amanda and Dinner, did the, and I was like, wait, what? Oh, right. <laughs> And Amanda Ann Dinner is definitely, like, my favorite name that I could think of. Yeah, we wanted to um, make sure that we could put in uh, opportunities for your last name to show up unexpectedly. So if you made your character last name something awful, like, Amanda's going to say it during the game. Because there's, like, the team player last name and team player last name. We were going to make jackets for the team that just said team dollar sign player last name. (laughs) Maybe we'll still do that. But, um... Well, something that I think is, as far as, like, talking about real issues and stuff, like, something that, I guess I'm I'm kind of interested in your background and where some other parts of the game came from. From, like, for instance, um, so there's Joseph, who's yes. the, 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 like, youth minister dad, and he has three kids, and um, he's very much like the, like, polo shirt, like, you know, um, Kendall dad. Yeah. Um, and I was really uh it was very much my aesthetic the way that you uh related to religion in the game because amanda and the player dad are very not having it like they're making jokes and they're clearly just like not like you know i don't know it's it's more the way i guess i i it, it feels familiar with like you know people that aren't very religious or don't go to church or yeah. whatever. And it, it has, like, a, a funny level of sacrilegiousness to it, and there's the whole, like, defaced sign uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that you can fix in, in various ways. Um, what, like, did, did, did that way of relating to those characters come from your perspective, or do you remember where, where how you guys kind of, like, uh, took yeah. that perspective from? So partially, yes, uh, I'm very atheist and kind of came from a family that was religious. So I had a lot of experiences of like trying to get pulled into that world and me being like, oh, yeah. I got to put on a happy face, I guess. But um, in writing Joseph's Path, so Vernon and I fleshed out like, okay, here's Joseph's arc and here's what happens. And our friend Jared from Hot Pepper Gaming wrote like the first draft of... Um, his path. Yeah. And so we got that draft back and we had like in the time that the draft was written, we had like made a lot of changes to the character and how it was going to go down. Mm-hmm. So we ended up rewriting like a lot of it. And Jared's work was like super important to establishing the characters and there are a lot of his jokes still in there. Yeah. Um, but we like wrote the ending and you know, just kind of built on top of that foundation. Yeah. So like, you know, without Jared, Joseph would not have like the very good voice that he has. Right. Um, because before he was just like, hi, I'm Joseph. I like Jesus. Um, <laughs> right. He was very like one note. But um, anyways, yeah. So Jerry put in a lot of the, you know, being uh, slightly sacrilegious yeah. about things. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where that came from. And it uh, player dad and Amanda's attitudes toward it definitely reflect ours. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something where, I don't know. Yeah. I also, it, it's one of those weird things where like, this probably isn't very interesting. But, like, you know, I guess it's... 
like when I saw those characters in that branch, I was like, ah, I'm I'm at home. Like I, I'm with my people here <laughs> yeah. who wrote this game. Um, and and I feel like it's an aspect of the game that I think like that's an example of an aspect of the game that I think is really valuable, which is just like it feels very unguarded. Like it doesn't like. I could phrase this, the way that my brain started to phrase this wasn't the best way to put it, but like, it doesn't feel like it was like overworked, right? Like it didn't feel like you were like, oh, let's deeply consider, you were sort of like, this is how I'm thinking about it, this would be funny, and yeah. like, and that's just you on the on the page, um, and just something that feels like it's just sort of like not holding back, you know, in being like, you know, a, a, a little... Um, like a, like a little confrontational in a way of just being like, no, this is these characters. They're both sharing jokes about, you know, yeah. like this thing that's important to some people, but it's not to them and other characters it is. And like the, the very Christian uh, dad character is also in a lot of ways one of the most like morally conflicted characters in the game. And I thought all of, all of that's like seeing a game that isn't afraid of saying things like, oh, we're going to have this really religious character and we're going to have a lot of perspectives on it and that's you know like there's a lot tied up in that and just seeing it there and like you know not like pulling punches or whatever i think is like a cool thing to encounter yeah thank you uh jared made a really good point in comparison to uh dragon age origins which is one of my favorite games and a big inspiration for dream daddy uh that you know the difference between like liliana and alistair and how they their perspective of like the chantry and religion and the games that like liliana is very serious about it and it's like kind of off-putting whereas alistair is super self-deprecating and like makes a lot of jokes about it and he's one of the most charming characters in the series and everybody loves him so not that liliana isn't also an amazing character in my wife but uh there's a difference yeah yeah for sure um What else was I going to ask? I can cut out me saying, gosh, what else was I going to ask? That's just a good interview <laughs> tactic. Just sit there and just be like, what else was I going to talk about? What else? About? I had notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Dream Daddy, uh, you, know, you, you, you worked hard on it for how long? Like how long a year was and a half. Yeah, about a year and a half. Most of it happened in the last 10 months, but because yeah. a lot of the beginning was like planning and hiring people, but right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gone Home also took a year and a half to make. <laughs> hey! <laughs> awesome. Uh, make a little game, do it fast, get yeah. it done. And uh, then it's really good. <laughs> if you're lucky. Um, so, so, so yeah, you worked on that for, for yeah, like a, a good year and a half, uh, really intense, I'm sure, because like there's a lot in that game, like there's a lot of art and there's a lot of writing and um, even with like the structure being relatively simple, it's just still like a lot of game, right? That, that lives inside of that thing. And then it came out, and like a lot of people played it, and like it was, you know, it had like a big fan base of people like cosplaying as Amanda and dads. And you know what? Actually, I think that there's that one um, cosplayer who did that amazing Amanda cosplay, like really kind of early I don't know if you know what I'm thinking of but she like did some of the poses that the character portraits are which one because I can think of like 10 different people <laughs> off the top of my head I, who I did follow her on Twitter I think is that, it Kiera I think it's Kiera or I was going to say Kiana but Kiera I think you're right yeah so I saw that and I was like whoa that's amazing oh I should pay more I should look at Dream Daddy more closely okay I'm in yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good work uh, Kiara so I want to copy <laughs> um, but so so you know like uh, a, a ton of people played it, and it's like your first 
game that you've released and like you're technically like still in college yeah so uh what what was it like being on the whole like oh oh people are actually playing this thing side of of the equation well writing it we were essentially working in a vacuum people didn't believe i was working on this game and if they did they didn't think it was gonna you know they didn't think it was gonna yeah of course and i was like oh we have this and this and this and i'm working with the game reps and they'd be like oh that's nice um but you know, to toil over it and just be like, wow, I hope somebody plays this game. Like, I don't, I don't really know if that's going to happen. Maybe we, you know, eventually break even and, you know, it won't be like a huge waste of money for the Grumps. Yeah. And, uh, to announce it on Father's Day, uh, the night before Vernon and I were on Skype and until, you know, I think the announce dropped at like four in the morning for me and we were both on <laughs> Skype freaking out like i think we both had panic attacks we were both uh we were like stress watching the office in 30 rock like trying to be like haha jokes humor is a thing that exists and everything's gonna be fine um and you know once things started going we spent the entire rest of that day on skype like constantly refreshing like common threads and reddit and tumblr and twitter mistake don't do that Mm -hmm. um and uh, I'm step ahead of you on that. <laughs> I, I, I keep away generally. Yeah, speaking. yeah. So that's the I thing. let stuff come to me mostly. Yeah. So for the first, you know, from announce until the delay and the release, I was really plugged into all of that and looking at everything. And the thing about looking at everything is that you will lose your mind if you try to do that, especially when you're desperately trying to finish this project and suddenly having all of these doubts or exacerbating the doubts uh, that you already had. And so that month of crunch was like one of the most stressful experiences. And I I look back on it with nostalgia of like, oh, I got to be locked in an office with my closest friends and be creative. And we would take breaks and like cry together and eat (laughs) M&Ms in the corner. Um, Like I could tell you the list of top 10 best places to have a stress cry in the Game Grumps office. Um, Spoiler alert, conference room, great spot. Uh, Anyways... This room is booked. Yeah, this I, but and then the grump room is also really good because it's like nice and cold in there and it's soundproof or it's not, it's okay it's not soundproof but it's a little bit more soundproof than right. the rest of the office so no one can hear you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, so uh, that was really stressful and to go from being like I was nineteen when the game came out uh, and to go from being like nobody to everyone's like who the fuck is Leighton? <laughs> um, and, you know, it was weird kind of with the announce because I feel like I kind of got a little bit shafted to the back. It was like, oh, this is Vernon's game or this is the Game Grumps game and people didn't even know who I was, which sure. is a little uh, disheartening. But I was happy so many people were... I mean, it's hard when, like, people are already... People on the team are already, like, internet famous, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, totally. It's like People who, are going to have the focus on, on them yeah. kind of naturally. But I feel like... Um, you know, like I, I, I knew of you because my friend uh, Laura Hudson interviewed you. Um, oh, yeah, for Wired. Yeah. Um, and, like, I feel like, you know... Well, I mean, how does it feel, like, now? Because I feel like in the intervening time, like you were saying, more people have uh, become aware of, like, you as part of the, the identity of the project and all that, that stuff. Um, it's... It feels bizarrely, like, Vernon and I's position feels bizarrely front-facing for an indie game, you know? Um, So we're kind of, like, 
the faces of the game and the dev team, even though a ton of extremely talented and amazing people worked on the project, yeah. uh, it is kind of hard to be that front-facing, especially for a game that tackles a lot of, like, or not, I say tackles, we literally just talked about how it doesn't tackle <laughs> these issues, but it's like, it's a queer game. Right. Um, well, it, it shares space with a lot of, like, issues that people are very connected to. Thank you, very yeah. diplomatically put. Um, and I've had media training. <laughs> oh, I too have had media training. <laughs> Cheers to media training. Um, but <laughs> I love doing that is like goes against media training. <laughs> um, staying so what you, on topic. What you should do Make a loud sound into the microphone and then be quiet for a few seconds. Like it's dead air. <laughs> um, anyways, wow, great. Off track. <laughs> well, just, you, Lose your train of thought and stare into middle distance. <laughs> well, just just being being part of the front facing yes. like yes. people that have to like it's... interface with people that might have a lot of investment in yes. what you're I'm... doing. I'm very anxious. I don't like confrontation. And for a while, a lot of people would yell at me on the internet. And that's okay. But I, uh, and I really appreciate, you know, trying to look at it from a positive angle that, like, people are passionate enough about the game that they feel that strongly about it. And it feels like, okay, we must have done something right. But not internalizing all of that is really difficult. And I, like, kind of hesitate to talk about this because nobody really talks about it. And... Uh, it being like a sort of public figure and making stuff and uh, having like, dare I say, a fandom is a really stressful position to be in. And of yeah. course, nobody's sympathetic to that because it's like, oh, boo-hoo, like your wildest dreams came true. You're <laughs> achieving more than you ever thought that you would in your career and like financially stable and boo-hoo you, like everyone likes your work. But it also doesn't change the fact that you just have, like, a lot of sudden scrutiny on you. Yeah. And, and it's not like it... It's not like it happened gradually. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a um, lot all at once, and... Because I feel, I feel fortunate. Like, I'm so glad that Gone Home was not the first game that I shipped. Because, like, I had been... You know, I, I was part of the Idle Thumbs podcast for years, and I was, like starting to do more, like, interviewee kind of stuff for, like, the Bioshock series when I worked on it, and I had, like built up like a Twitter following and stuff like that and had been on the the other side of like, oh, that thing you were working on for so long is out now before it was like the thing that was me from my basement and like also additionally kind of people were picking sides on it and stuff like that. So I'm totally sympathetic to just like the, it's, this is like, you know, it's like the oldest story in the world, but like the, the, it's good for a lot of people to be into what you're doing. And it also doesn't make it any easier for now suddenly everybody's looking at you and yeah. projecting their interpretation of you onto you. Yeah, you know? it, it is like a lot of projection and that's okay, but I think it's really important. Well, you know, you can't really help it, but yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's exactly natural. What it is. People can only project their own like understanding yeah. of you. But, but like, you know, it's one thing if it's like one or two people projecting things onto you and it's another thing when it's hundreds of thousands of people projecting their own issues onto you and that is too much for any one person to handle and talking to more people who are in a similar position like it's a really common thing well and the like i think the the flip side of it is that like i don't know dream daddy came out three months ago maybe so like it's very and and this podcast is is going to be a number of months 
probably after this is recorded. But like oh, as tight. A, <laughs> but at the time of recording this, it's like that's very recent. Like it's very yeah. recent. You know, like well, from the level of experience you have with kind of being in this position and the degree to which the game got attention, like three months is like nothing. Like you're yeah. still on top of it. Yes. So um, And just as I regret saying things that I've said maybe not very tactfully in interviews uh, of like a month ago, I can't wait for this to come out in a few months and be like, why did I say that? <laughs> and hopefully a few months from now when it comes out, I'll be a lot better. Like yeah. I, I think it's just going to take some time. It is a big culture shock. I'm also experiencing the uh, postpartum depression of yeah. releasing a project. And also, like, I don't know, uh, someone much more intelligent than me uh, said, uh, Stevie, who made uh, The Stanley Parable, that, uh, you know, you made a game because you are good at creating problems and solving those problems. And you did that for a year and a half. And now that it's out, you have no, like, things to create problems with tangible solutions like you were with the game. And now your brain is creating problems that you could not possibly have a solution for. Right. Um, so your anxiety just kind of uh, runs wild. And yeah. I keep putting it, like, just constantly feel like, feels like my brain is tumbling down a hill at, like, <laughs> top speeds. And there's no slowing down. Well, I mean, that's, like, that's what anxiety, that's what a huge part of anxiety, I think, can be. Anxiety. It just gets faster. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess from my perspective, because, like, you know, like, I I also had a lot of responsibilities and a lot to deal with and try to, like, you know, kind of, like, get my head around, like, getting Tacoma shipped because it was a much bigger title than we ever shipped. And there was kind of more that we had to manage with it and everything else. And the thing that I, that I realized is, like you're saying, where, like, um, I think anxiety is... is a manifestation of the fight or flight response and what your mind is saying is there's all this stuff that's wrong and I need to fix it and the reality is there is no way to fix it because yes. the thing that's wrong is your game is going to come out later yeah. or the thing that's gone is you don't know how it's going to do or the thing that's wrong is that whatever these people said this thing yeah. and like you can't get it out of your head but it's not solvable but your your brain is like the fuck I'm being threatened I need to yeah. do something about this. And it's, you, you literally can't do things about it because you were evolved for the problem to be that, like, a lion is chasing you. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? I mean, you can't solve a 15-year-old on the internet hating you. Right. Like, it's just not a thing you can do. And like I said earlier, like, my childhood being defined by, like, the things that I was afraid of. Like, my life is defined by the things that I'm afraid of. And it's, uh, Vernon put it a really good way, uh, that it's just, like, playing Mad Libs with... Uh, 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 anxiety, like whatever you worry about, it, it doesn't matter. Like you're going to pick a new thing. Yeah. If you even somehow found a solution, it's just going to find a new thing to freak out about. And that's... I think that's something that's important to, to realize about anxiety. And I say this stuff because of stuff that I've only recently kind of uh, been confronting and thinking about intentionally is like... the Because the other side of that whole fight or flight thing is like your brain is also built to say, I'm having a, a, an adrenaline response that must be in response to a stimulus that must mean something's wrong that's making me feel this way. And the honest truth is, a lot of times, it's your brain making you feel that way and then finding the thing to put that on. Yeah. And knowing that it's not like, if I fixed all the external problems to me, I wouldn't feel this way anymore. But it's like, you feel this way sometimes. And then, yeah. you and then like 
that's its own thing. You know, it, I think maybe it helps a little bit with at least getting yourself out of the headspace of like, well, if I could just make that different or that different, because mm-hmm. like, like you said, it'll find something else. Yeah, and it's become especially clear to me um, in the wake of this game. Like, uh, I have realized a lot about myself, and that has been a big part of it. Just you know, it. I'm not going to solve my tendency to obsess about stuff. I can gain skills to cope with it, but I need to stop fixating on the object of the obsession and instead like get to the root of yeah. why it's happening because I realize I'll I'll like obsess about stuff I'm happy and excited about. Like yeah. there's no it doesn't matter if I am thinking obsessively about here are the 20 different ways I could die right now and there's no afterlife so it's just going to be nothingness and I was so sad my whole life and like I squandered it and I could have been happy and now it's over but then it could be like I'm so excited to move into this apartment that I got I'm going to do nothing but stare at photos of this apartment and obsessively plan a hundred different furniture layouts of what this apartment could look like and plot paths like I just I'm just going to do it no matter what Um, and so finding that focus is certainly like yeah, one of the and when it's a right? creative project, I'm really good at it because sure. it's like yeah, this is a fictional world. Let me obsessively world build for like three hours, right. and then that three hours turns into three days. Yeah. Well, and are you feeling a lot of that? Where like I mean, you know, putting like public reception aside, just like going from that I have something to pour all this energy into all the time to like oh I don't have that anymore has that have you felt that or do you feel like you have other places to like route that into I uh I'm taking a break I have much needed break uh mentally and physically and I'm really just trying to like catch back up on all the media I missed out on and really kind of refill my creative battery by playing games and watching movies and reading books and being outside and I've kind of neglected like my art skills over the course of the year just because I've spent so much time writing and directing Um, now I'm really just trying to get back to it and having dropped out of school I didn't do that because I didn't think I had more to learn because I'm a baby and I don't know how to do anything so I'm trying to take some time off to like really work back on the basics and instead of, you know, toiling endlessly over the stuff in school that I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to focus on or that wasn't productive, I'm like building my own curriculum of how I want to expend my energy getting better at art stuff. Yeah. So uh, I'm just having like a really long self-care period. We're doing some other stuff with the property that I can't talk about uh, yet. Yeah. But, and after that, I want to make more games. Like, uh, this experience has been really enlightening, and uh, I think that's kind of what I want to do. I thought I wanted to be an illustrator, and I think I do, but uh, I'm way more passionate about games and making games. That's awesome. I mean, I'm really, I mean, I'm glad that despite being in a place that's really hard right now, that that's not defining how you think about uh, the future. It's, I feel like I can't not do it. You know, like it's what I'm geared for. If you can't not do it, then you just got to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Game development. (laughs) Being creative in public. Um, Okay, well, you know, thank you so much for taking part of your Indicade to talk with me about uh, all of the Dream Daddy stuff. Um, And uh, I'll I'll really look forward to what does come down the line in the future when you get to it. Thank you so much. It's so great to finally meet you. I really uh, massively respect and admire you and your work. (laughs) And I am so sorry I made your toilet overflow. (laughs) There may have been a break that we cut out where maybe we had to uh, engage a plunger in this Airbnb. Yeah. uh, Which is like... 
I, I have a feeling that anybody who has stayed in enough Airbnbs, I feel like you're just rolling the dice until there's a bad toilet. Don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> so. and I feel like, you know, having existed for a while, it's only a matter of time before you have an interview with one of your heroes and then make his toilet overflow. <laughs> and now you're saying it on the podcast, so more people are going to know. I don't know which would be more embarrassing if it was just a secret I kept that I made Steve Gaynor's toilet overflow or that now you all know and this is a deep shame that I will carry with me. Whatever you do, dear listeners, let's just keep that between the three of us. <laughs> yeah, all three of us, because yeah. one person will listen to this podcast, and me, it's going to be joy. Me, Leighton, and the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, thank wow. you so much. Uh, thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>